In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Like beer, I don't know if you do. Okay. you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, Mom, I want a vape. <laughs> Nude pictures of Trump. Come on now. Don't mess with me. The Betches Sup Podcast. How dare you? Hello, and welcome to the Sup Daily CoronaCast. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell-Smith. And the CoronaCast is your daily rundown of all the latest news on that messy bitch, COVID-19, how we're getting through it, just how close we are to ending the crisis, and I don't know, whatever else we have to say about it. So let's get into it. Hi, Brian. Hey, Elise. How are you? I'm good. How's your how's your self-isolation going? It's going okay. Um, yeah. You know, I'm so glad that I got a dog in November, you know? Having That's a pet is very helpful to the situation. 100p. She is yes. honestly the happiest she's ever been in her entire <laughs> life. I know this is like what a dog wants is for you to stay home every second of the day to engage with her. We're I'm home all the time. We're we're playing. I'm going on walks, you know, because we're not actually I we actually got out of the city, so we're at another location and uh yeah so yeah. she's just living her best life it's she's a dog in the wild other than yeah. that personally <laughs> feel a little anxious but. yeah yeah it's like i weirdly go through this like like every day i have like different emotions where i'm like you know what i'm gonna take this time as a gift Mm-hmm. from the universe and I'm gonna I'm always asking the world to slow down and I'm gonna slow it down and then I'm like oh my god we're dying everyone's I, dying this is it, gonna be 12 but it's gonna be a year long like the economy's crashing what's happening and it's like that all day long it's day. honest I've never experienced such a roller coaster of emotions in one day like I've always been able to do like you know day to day or week to week it's always been like I can flip flap as much as I want but it's literally hour by hour where I'm like, yes. you know what? I will be okay. This is fine. I'll just stay out here like where I am for like a month. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, a month? What? It's funny. Like the way you're talking about it, it does seem like you and Antonio have gone underground into a bunker. <laughs> we are in Fire Island, guys. That is, I, just, I, was like, that, I knew you were in Fire Island, but I was like, you sound like you well, have gone to an undisclosed location. Well, okay, so the thing is, it's like, it's like, you know, it's mostly a summer place and it's like kind of odd to be walking around and not seeing a lot of people, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, that's nice, but it's also like, oh, fuck, like, you know, I'm out here, but you know, it's fine. So should, let me just take a minute for our listeners to explain what the heck is going on here. Oh, yes, so, yes. um, guys, the podcast is changing uh we're gonna try something new for the next couple of weeks obviously there's one very dominant story in politics right now um that story is changing so much day to day that it's hard for us to do two long episodes a week and really give you the most up-to-date information so instead of trying to pack all of this coronavirus information into two long podcasts a week we are going to be coming at you every dang day. With, you know it. I know. With shorter <laughs> podcasts, they're going to hit around 20 minutes or so. Um, this is also just easier for us, guys. Recording the 40-minute episodes uh, remotely, we found pretty quickly was, you heard 40 minutes, it took 40 hours. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a better situation for us. Um, Definitely shoot us a DM. Amanda manages all those DMs or an email at sup at betches.com to let us know how you'd like this coverage to go, what you think of the shorter episodes. Today's episode will actually be normal length because if you stay tuned at the end, you'll hear Amanda's interview with Molly McGrath, a voting rights attorney with the ACLU. Um, And she basically talks about how our elections and normal voting processes have been totally upended by coronavirus. So Molly and Amanda spent 
spend a bit of time discussing that and how the crisis amplifies existing issues of accessibility and shows us why expanding things like voting by mail are so important. So definitely stick around and listen to that. Yeah, I'm excited. It's um, really important to know. We have to figure out, you know, it's an election year and yeah. we have to see, we have to figure that shit out. Yeah, um, we will talk about an election update at the end a little bit, but Ohio did have to postpone its primary by two weeks because they were just like, we can't ask all these old people to gather up in a little box. And vote. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, in Florida right now, like they just had their primary, but there's all those videos of people on spring break just fucking floor, floor, yeah. floor riding it up. Well, I think Florida's reckless. <laughs> One thing I think we know. <laughs> I will give Florida is that they are the best at being the absolute worst. You know, I mean, just uh, just a YOLO energy throughout you know, Florida right now. <laughs> good for them, and not really though. God, okay, God bless it, Brian. Yes, I will. Want- let's get us into this Corona cast. Yes, so. indeed. As of this morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, the United States uh, had 9,415 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 150 deaths. Globally, there have been 222,642,000 reported cases and 9,115 total deaths. Uh, So testing in the United States still hasn't ramped up enough that those projected numbers are anywhere near the actual level of infection in the country. Um, yeah, meaning- I always hear the numbers and I think they're so small and then I realize like, oh, actually we're not testing anyone. So yes. <laughs> that's well, why they're know, small. Exactly, because they keep talking about the fact that, you know, people have it but aren't showing any symptoms or people are showing symptoms and are still unable to meet the criteria to get a test. Yes. Um, Cause it seems like unless you are, you know, really, really ill and then they can even like give you the chance of potentially getting a test. Yeah. And it used to be that like you had to be able to prove that you were exposed to someone who was exposed, which is like this insane catch 22 of like, you can't get a test. So you can't prove you have it. So no one who's been in contact with you can get a test to prove they have it. It's a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you're, if you're someone who takes the subway, any form of public transportation, um, constantly, uh, you know, you don't know how many people you're interacting with. Right. Like I, as, as a New Yorker, I feel, I'm no, I know you feel the same. I'm like, I see 1 billion people every day. I know. So, it's like, like I'm maybe. like, I, I don't know. And it's like, you like go to the cash register. Maybe the person before you, you know, who's picking up their coffee is not feeling well. Like you never really know. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, only 100 pel- public health labs around the country that have been approved to perform the tests the FDA announced last week it would use its emergency authorization protocol to allow more labs to do tests. But now labs are having trouble not just getting tests, but getting the supplies they need to do the tests, like cotton swabs and pipettes, um, because there is a shortage of, you know, uh, medical supplies. At this point, doctors are saying it just doesn't make sense to test people who aren't extremely sick. Um, but there seems to be a lot of optimism that we're on the right track, at least to significantly ramp up testing in the coming weeks when it's expected that we will need it the most. Whew. Well, that's, that sounds good. I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, um, I mean, it does seem a lot. Most people I know are, have been isolating, you know? So that is good. Yes. And I do feel like Trump himself, like his tone in the last like 42 48 Not hours his like, skin tone no he looks exactly the same yes but okay. the way that he's um speaking about the virus has yes. changed and he like took all these emergency actions like uh he enacted that like world war ii law so that they can make more masks and stuff mm-hmm. so like somebody talked to him yeah <laughs> somebody sat like- his ass down <laughs> and it's odd because i know we've talked about him being a germaphobe before so you would think that like this would be something that would be right up his alley, you know, to be like, oh, yeah. shit, get it together. Know, something happened and he either like it clicked for him, like somebody plugged something in in his brain or like he finally just decided to let experts take over and he's just doing whatever they say because like the amount of action that's taken place in the like last two days is crazy. Well, just the difference in the way that they're talking about the disease in the past week alone 
you know, yes. we on March 9th, Sean Hannity was on Fox saying that this was a hoax. And then like last night, he's like, I never said it was a hoax. Luckily, we have the video because as I said, he was he's on Fox he's News. A, yeah, um, actually, you're on a TV show, yeah. my dude. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> bro, I mean, let's roll back the tape. Come on. Um, so that is that is good to seem like even that like Fox News is taking it more seriously because, you know, if these, if they, they feed, they are a huge supplier of information for people, yes. as inaccurate as it may be. Um, and if they're telling people it's fine to go out and do shit, like, and their audience does it, they're gonna get sick, and that's just not good for everyone. I know, especially because their audience skews older. Like, these mm-hmm. are people who you should really, you have like a duty to tell them how serious this is. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So the Senate yesterday also passed the House's emergency relief package, which Trump assigned Um, Mm -hmm. the $100 billion package provides free coronavirus testing, two weeks of paid sick leave for hourly employees and 12 weeks paid family leave for people forced to stay home from work because kids are out of school or in daycare. Um, The government will give companies a refundable tax credit to help them provide this. So that's good. Um, But it has tons of exceptions, like for small businesses that would go out of business paying workers to stay home and large businesses, which the government says doesn't uh, need its help to provide paid leave, like Amazon, for example. Um, This is separate from the one trillion package under consideration that will send 1,000 checks to most Americans. Um, They're still working on that. $1,000 checks, $1,000 checks, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, like... Are we call like Andrew Yang must be like uh, hello? <laughs> I know it's so funny that the one fit person who's going to get like their policy out of the primary is that Andrew Yang will get his little UBI test program. Yeah, and it's interesting to see you know like the other week they pumped one point five trillion dollars into like the Fed pumped like into like yeah. uh, the the stock market or the economy or. Yeah. Some m- Honestly, big money thing. when they're like the Fed pumped money into the economy, I'm like, I don't know what, where do they, where do they send it? Yeah, Who's getting that check? Like, I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm like. Also curious, like, okay, so they do just have 1.5 trillion dollars to spend. Yeah, that's just filling <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere, you know, it's that's, in a Venmo account. Yeah, the Fed, like, <laughs> they just yeah. cashed out their Fed Venmo. I think they asked the, the the guy. They're like, how did you? The guy, you know. Um, they were like, how did you do this? And he's like, we just like raised the margin. We're like, what? Like, like, so like, you know, that's why it's just like, you know, socialism, it's real. That's what <laughs> yeah. this, you know, the that's moral of the story are. is that socialism is real <laughs> in America. Yes. Um, so um, speaking of Congress, uh, two representatives have tested positive for COVID-19 uh, representative Mario Diaz Ballart, a ninth term Florida Republican. Florida. <laughs> and Representative Ben McAdams, a freshman Democrat from Utah. Both were experiencing symptoms. Both cast votes on the House floor just on Saturday. And people who had close contact with them are now self-quarantining. 
And this kind of brings us into uh, this discussion. A lot of people who have been, a lot of people have been having, and there's actually a really interesting article about it in the New York Times about why it seems like rich, famous, influential people seem to be having an easier time getting tests. So, like on that score, all players on eight NBA teams have been tested (laughs) for coronavirus after being exposed, but not like. It's not like they were all showing serious symptoms. It was just after being exposed. Meanwhile, of course, your uncle grandpa over uh-huh. in Ohio can't even sniff a test. Uh-huh. And he's coughing up his one lung. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, okay, so on this point, uh, last week when a player on the Utah Jazz tested positive, the entire team was tested in Oklahoma, which used up 60% of the state's tests at that time. Jesus. I And the Utah da- Jazz didn't ask to be tested, but health officials were like, you have to test the entire team. So that's what's crazy is like an outside group was like, not the Jazz, and like yeah. used <laughs> 60% of the state's tests. Um, so Brooklyn Nets player Kevin Durant has also tested positive. Mm-hmm. And after that, the team obtained tests for every player through a private company. So that's also part of it is that they have access to these yeah. private companies um honestly if you had told me the utah jazz was a basketball team or if you had told me that it was a famous rapper on tiktok i would have believed <laughs> either of them utah never jazz is an amazing tiktok rapper name it is a, i was like oh that's a great name Anyways. yeah see i know i know nothing um but i do know who kevin durant is and i do have a brooklyn nets hat so yes I, there you go <laughs> I'm glad they're, I'm, I think he's doing well still. So um, other notable people who've tested positive are Idris Elba, which is insane. So he says he's mm-hmm. fine, but like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Uh, influencer Ariel Sharness, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, obviously. Kevin Durant, as we said. And Sophie Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's wife. Mm-hmm. The first lady of Canada has tested yeah. positive. <laughs> um, and they just closed the U.S.-Canada border. I know. For travelers. Um, And so, like, you know, the New York Times looked into this, and they found that Sharness, this influencer, was initially told that since she didn't have symptoms, she couldn't be tested, but then she posted about it to her 1.3 million million followers, and someone reached out to her, DM'd her that she could get a test, which is hilarious because that's exactly how I got um, moisturizing eye eye wipes for my chronic incurable dry eye. (laughs) I mean, D- I post about it on Instagram and someone DM me the wipes. Influencers <laughs> while live us all is basically what the moral of the story is. I, I wonder, like, I love the idea of her posting about it being like, use code Ariel to get your, <laughs> your like 15% off your coronavirus test. That is hilarious. <laughs> we need to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Quest and LabCorp, uh, which are two of the biggest companies that process tests are saying that they don't give anyone special treatment, but it is kind of crazy that all of these people are getting tests. Um, so Trump was actually also asked about this and we have a clip of that. Mr. President, perhaps I can follow up. How are non-symptomatic professional athletes getting tests while others are waiting in line and can't get them? Do the well-connected go to the front of the line? Well, that, you'd have to ask them that question. I mean, they, uh, I, I've read. No, I wouldn't say so, but perhaps that's uh, been the story of life. That does happen on occasion. And I've noticed where some people have been tested uh, fairly quickly. It's just wild to me that he acts like he has never heard of anything and he has nothing to do with, like, anything that's going on like in one press conference he'll be like we're doing amazing we're doing the best work and then anyone asks him a question he's like i don't know anything about that i've got nothing to do with that i don't know Mm -hmm. anything about these tests Mm -hmm. whatever so he like he's very good at pleading ignorant but you know what i mean like he does it all the time like that's like basically his uh go-to move for anything i don't take response i don't take responsibility for that at all he said Mm -hmm. it in the first big coronavirus press conference and it's the Mm -hmm. ethos of his whole thing like he's doing stuff now but you know that if anything goes wrong he's not like well i people keep doing this comparison um where it's like you know we had the we had 100 cases or their first case on the same day as south korea and South mm-hmm. Korea is already in a place where they have flattened their curve. Um, they took really quick initial action. And we are now seeing the repercussions of us not taking that quick reaction. Yes. Um, and 
<clears throat> we are behind about like three weeks and they're saying that this will double about you know every week and so that is terrifying like I three know. weeks means makes a big difference it's it's really wild to keep hearing this like you know fauci said it now trump is even saying it that it's like strap in because this is going to get crazier some productions are saying that like the pandemic could last like 18 months which i don't know i don't think that means social distancing for 18 months but it is going to mean a change in our daily lives for a while totally. mm -hmm. and who knows if maybe if we had started this a little bit earlier that 18 months could have been 15 months or whatever like we don't know yeah and so i mean we won't, we really won't know how long it lasts until more time passes um lastly we wanted to share a way you can support businesses impacted by coronavirus Elise actually wrote an entire piece about this, which I we will did. link in the show notes. Yes, if you just like look in the description, there's a link there and I'll take you right there. Um, but we also encourage you to check out Union Square Hospitality Group. They're run by famous chef Danny Myers, who created a ton of NYC's best restaurants that are really worth visiting if you make a trip to the city, like 11 Madison Park, Union Square Cafe, Blue Smoke, Marta, etc. Um, him and his executives have given up their salaries to support their employees impacted by the restaurant's closing and are giving 100% of gift card sales to staff. That's, so that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Cause I know, I mean, it's hard for these businesses like to figure out what to do if they want to help their staff. And there are some that are stepping up and there are some that are not. And it's really interesting to see like, I don't know. I keep seeing this take. That's like, we finally know who the real essential employees are. And it's like the people who are ringing up, you, you know, it's like these healthcare workers, it's people who ring up your groceries, it's yes. like your delivery drivers and all of this stuff. Well, it's like, you know, and, and even like a bigger thing, it's like, you know, what's important, what isn't important. Like they, the ICE has just announced that it will stop rounding people up. And it's like, oh, because it, you didn't, it wasn't important. It wasn't yeah. important to be taking, picking up people from ICE. So it's not a priority anymore yeah. because it's not a priority. So why They're are we like, doing it at all? They were like, we're only going to actually round up criminals. And it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. sounds good my dude it's it's like that exactly okay um so we're this brings us to the end of the episode we're gonna wrap up but we did want to end by giving an election update because that is also happening yes. in this world um an election a primary was held this tuesday uh primaries went on in arizona florida Ill and illinois ohio was supposed to happen but like we said earlier Ohio actually at the last minute opted to postpone their primary. Um, Joe Biden won all three states. So mm -hmm. uh, he pretty much crushed it in Florida. Um, and so now it's kind of, uh, he's the presumptive nominee at this point. He doesn't have enough delegates to actually fully be the nominee, but it's kind of mathematically impossible for, Bernie Sanders or Tulsi Gabbard to catch up to. I will say Tulsi Gabbard announced today that she's ending her presidential campaign. You know, and I will say I heard not a peep about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing that for the first time, babe. What changed between now and two weeks ago? I don't know. Interesting. Um, I, I genuinely, that is actually interesting to me because I thought she would have just stayed in and run third party and been like annoying like that. So I mean, that's interesting. Um, Bernie Sanders yeah. was asked about his campaign yesterday. Someone tried to ask him if, like, he was going to drop out, and he yelled, uh, I'm dealing with a fucking global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was like, is that enough for me to be dealing with for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately, that's not. It's just, there were just reports of it. Like, no one actually got that on tape, which makes uh, me so sad. That's too bad. I would love to hear Bernie Sanders yell, I'm dealing with a global fucking pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would sound pretty much exactly like that. Yep. So um, um, that's the end of our first Corona cast. Yeah, everyone, make sure you stick around to hear Amanda's interview with Molly McGrath from the ACLU. And uh, until yeah, next time. until the end of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And this is the Betches Sup Corona cast. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, 
Good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the Betches Up podcast. We're here with Molly McGrath. Molly, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with us today. (laughs) Yes, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. And I hope everybody is safe and uh, safe and sane in these very, you know, very scary and uncertain times. Yes, absolutely. So Molly McGrath is a voting rights attorney and organizer with the American Civil Liberties Union's Voting Rights Project. Um, We scheduled this interview a few weeks ago to sort of talk about the number of ways states are suppressing the vote. Um, Right now and ahead of the 2020 election, we just launched our Keep It 100 campaign, as you guys know, to mark the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, some women's suffrage by sort of noting how much further we have to go and how much work there is left to be done to make sure that everyone has access to the ballot. Um, but we obviously can't ignore that there is a public health emergency underway that is appears to be impacting our elections. So Molly, we want to get into everything, all the threats to voting access, but I'm wondering if you can talk to us briefly a little bit about what we're facing now. So what issues does this sort of very unique scenario pose to voting access? And I'm also curious how this moment sort of amplifies existing issues of accessibility that you are combating and working with every day? Yeah, thanks. And that, that's, that is a really great question because I think that, you know, certainly we're in, you know, very, very scary and uncertain times and that we have, we have this pandemic going on when we have primary elections going on. Mm -hmm. And it really has, you know, it really has highlighted some flaws in the voting system um, that that certainly exists now, um, but really existed before, and maybe didn't always get get as much attention. Mm-hmm. And some of those are, you know, you know, ultimately we all believe that voting should be accessible, and that people should have, you know, the ability to vote in more than one way. That people shouldn't be stymied by registration deadlines. And now, and now with this going on, we're seeing that 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 really is the case for. For vote for all voters, and certainly for mm-hmm. um, has been the case for some voters. So something like vote by mail. Um, only thirty three states offer vote by mail without an excuse. And wow. so in all these other states, you know, we should we vote by mail should exist um, should exist without an excuse. And we're seeing some positive movement in that with this. Um, mm-hmm. The Alabama Secretary of State is in favor of no excuse absentee voting. Um, and these are things that certainly should be in place now, but really should, um, mm-hmm. really should and can be in place um, all the time. Yeah. So it sounds like, is there any reason to look at what's going on now as an opportunity to really address the flaws in our voting system as they're sort of, these ones are laid bare and maybe in the future we might see more states realize the utility of having things like mail-in and absentee much more available and not be so onerous? I think so. I think absolutely that there's there's really a recognition now that we should be making our voting system as accessible and secure as possible, and mm-hmm. that some of these some of these changes that are coming into place now that states can enact them all the time and should enact them all the time. So whether that's you know vote by mail, the prepaid postage, um, the deadlines mm. that go with vote by mail to make sure that people have up until election day to postmark. That, that ballot. So some of these changes, um, you know, are, are, are easy to make in a lot of states already. And, you know, they're just common sense. And now I think there's a mm-hmm. lot more consensus about, about how common sense they are and that they could be, you know, certainly implemented, um, you know, by November and permanently. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So to take sort of a more broad view, so you're a voting rights attorney and organizer with the ACLU's uh, Voting Rights Project. What well, I actually your... work in the National Political Department, but, you know, splitting okay, so <laughs> splitting hairs. Got it. No, 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 that's good. That's good. Thank you. Yes. Perfect. I'll add that. Um, so what, what is your day-to-day like? What do you do all day? What do you do day-to-day? What does this work really look like? 
Yes, that's, um, that's a, almost a trick question because truly um, every day is different. Mm -hmm. And one of the real, one of the real, you know, engines to my work is people and organizing and effectuating change from the ground up. And so whether that's working on, you know, doing state specific work. So each state has different voting laws and each state has a, a voting law that could help people have access to the ballot dramatically, or maybe a voter suppression law that is, that is stymieing and disenfranchising folks that we, that we can work together on. And so whether that's introducing and working on legislation in a state and activating organizers to, you know, inform folks in that state what that looks mm -hmm. like and get support for that, or whether that might be a ballot measure um, to, to qualify for the ballot where, where folks can vote on it. It's, it's different in each state depending on kind of that policy um, and, you know, can certainly involves a lot of travel and, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's, you know, the, the great thing about this work is being able to work in, in different states with folks on the ground who, you know, believe in organizing mm -hmm. and know, you know, know this state, know this state best. And, yeah. um, you know, I say every day is different, but one thing is, is, is clear is that people really um, are, are energized um, around mm -hmm. the right to vote and around, you know, making sure that, that their state elections um, work and are accessible mm -hmm. and, and helping, you know, helping their fellow folks in their state vote. Yeah. Cool. So keeping this really broad, I'm, I was really curious if, if, is there one thing in your view that poses the biggest threat to voting rights as we're talking today, March, 2020? One thing, I mean, I wouldn't say that there's, you know, a, a, one specific policy, you know, we're seeing, mm -hmm. we're seeing different policies in different states. So whether that's, you know, strict photo ID laws that are drafted in ways that really intentionally exclude certain voters, whether that's students or low income voters, um, older voters, you know, from, from voting, whether mm -hmm. that's purges to the voter rolls or cuts to early voting, um, these are all, you know, these are all threats. I think that we're all yeah. um, that we're that we're seeing and that we're all really concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I read about voting rights and, and voter suppression in 2020, you hear a lot about 2013 when uh, SCOTUS decided made a decision that has effectively gutted the Voting Rights Act, specifically a provision. Um, that required states with a history of, uh, I think, I think it was nine, was it nine states? I think nine states with a history of racial discrimination in voting uh, to sort of clear changes to their election laws with the federal government um, to ensure that their laws were not targeting uh, specific populations. But as of 2013, that provision is no longer in place. How did the Supreme Court's decision bring us to where we are today, where, as you were saying, there are, you know, numerous ways in which the vote is being suppressed? Yeah, so the essentially that decision really, you know, almost opened the floodgates. So wow. there was for voter suppression and, you know, really we started seeing laws come at a different pace and in a different way than we had for decades. So the mm -hmm. Voting Rights Act of, you know, 1965, this was something that enjoyed bipartisan support, something that had, uh, you know, been been reauthorized by mm -hmm. President Nixon, you know, President George W. Bush, that this was something that, you know, the nation really, um, you know, almost rallied around and, and everybody, be everybody believed that we needed. And then come 2013, yeah. you know, seeing this, this section got, it's, as you called it, the preclearance requirement, you know, it really mm -hmm. required okay. these, these jurisdictions that essentially had bad behavior, right? Like they had uh, history yeah. and ongoing changing laws and for that that were racially discriminatory towards voters. And so essentially they would have mm -hmm. to ask the federal government for permission before they could implement a new law because of this, you know, this ongoing bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And once once that's that decision lifted that permission, you know, states these these jurisdictions who who had had this bad behavior were free to do what they wanted. And right. so you know, even within 24 hours, we saw Texas implemented uh, their strict photo ID law. 
24 hours. That's, that's wild. I mean, it, it is. It's and it, really shows, it shows, it, it almost like shows the, the opposite, you know, it shows the exact totally. need of how, you know, how much we needed this. Um, and, and yeah. that, in that, you know, and that it wasn't that that there was that it wasn't irrelevant that there wasn't a need for it. Um, yeah. And so, had, you know, yeah. Had states been pitching new laws up until uh, SCOTUS made that decision, or in the years prior that had been um, turned down, and the federal government had said, like, no, that's not appropriate, or do you think they were just sort of waiting for this? They, I mean, anything that would need to be, you know, so anything that they proposed, you know, as would have mm-hmm. to get that permission before actually being implemented. Right. Um, and so, Got you know, it. now that there, there, now that there wasn't that kind of like, you know, stop mm. in the, in the middle, it was just, you know, on to full, on to full implementation and, um, and, you know, really just changed the landscape, uh, you know, of voting mm-hmm. rights in, in a way that it hadn't, um, that it was, that it was different before. I mean, certainly we have a very ugly history of, racial right. discrimination and voting in our country um, that existed long before that and that there still wasn't equal access, you know, before the Shelby decision, certainly not. Um, but this, this just made it that much worse. Yeah. Can you talk about how some of the moves that states have made since 2013 do directly impact um, minority populations and marginalized populations? Yeah. So if you think of, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of work around ID laws, for instance, and mm-hmm. a lot of ID laws include, um, you know, a, a, a state, you know, driver's license or ID, ID and, so, you know, something that folks who rely on yeah. public transportation don't necessarily use. Folks who live um, in, in larger cities where public transportation is available and are more likely to be people of color, lower income folks mm-hmm. who are unfortunately disproportionately people of color, that, you know, there's a, there's a pronounced effect on, on certain demographics there, um, whether it's, you know, uh, in some instances, polling locations that have mm-hmm. shut down and shut down or condensed, um, creating longer lines, different distances um, for mm-hmm. folks to travel to. So state lawmakers generally claim that they want to avoid voter fraud uh, when they implement these restrictions. Looking at restrictions, you would think that there's mass voter fraud in this country. We certainly have problems with election security, but in your view, is voter fraud as big of a threat or is there evidence that it's as big as a threat um, as these lawmakers claim when they use it as a motivation to implement these laws? I think the biggest thing that I see whenever, you know, I've worked on the ground. I grew up in Wisconsin, you know, I've worked Mm -hmm. in Kansas, in Georgia, all over the place, in New York. And the biggest thing that I see when I talk to folks, you know, across the political spectrum is that everybody believes that our elections should be fair, that our elections should be secure, that every eligible voter should be able to, you know, vote and vote wise. And that is, you know, something that we see consistently. And I, I, I really believe that that is something that we can unite behind. And changes like mm-hmm. automatic voter registration that, you know, keep our roles more accurate and up to date. Or same-day registration that allow voters to show up with, uh, you know, the documentation in person that they need in that state and be able to make sure that they can access their ballot right there. And that's a great safeguard mm-hmm. from purges or anything else. And to make sure that folks can, can vote early and have the opportunity to vote besides just, you know, that 12-hour period mm-hmm. on election day. I think that, you know, some of these are just really common sense and ways to secure our elections. Um, and, that, and I think that really that that's, you know, that's a big priority across, across the board. We also wanted to talk about the situation in Florida. Um, In 2018, the state moved to allow people with previous felony convictions to vote. Um, But since then, measures have been put in place that look a lot like a poll tax that seem to involve people needing to pay money if they have a felony conviction in various ways in order to access that new access, I guess. So can you tell me more about this case and how you expect it to sort of turn out before November? 
Yes. So what we saw in, in 2018 in Florida was, it's really historic. So on the ballot was, was a measure that allowed people, it would automatically restore rights for people who had been convicted of a felony um, once they had completely finished their, their sentence. So that's all parole and probation. And what this meant was folks who had been barred for life from voting. So many people have never been able to vote their entire life um, yeah. would, would allow them, you know, that bring them that right to vote and really restore it. Right. Because your right to vote is innate to, you know, innate to who we are as citizens and should never be taken away. Um, and Florida mm-hmm. was one of, one of the very last states in the, in the country that had this lifetime ban on, on the right to vote mm-hmm. and actually took away that right to vote. And, in 20, so folks on the ground, you know, organized and got this issue onto the ballot for the state to vote on in 2018, and it won, and it won big time. 64% of people in Florida wow. supported this, wow. and really, it's looked at as one of the one of the you know single most acts of of reenfranchisement in the in the country since the Voting Rights Act mm-hmm. um, that we talked about. So that's how like that is how big and historic huge, it is. Yeah. this is and what a big consensus too, um, you know, uh, to have, to have some, you know, just such, yeah. such broad support on this. Um, and then, and then, like you said, the sad news is, is that after this passed, the, the state legislature acted to, to really curtail how it would be implemented and said that, you know, essentially finishing your sentence also meant paying any fines, any fees, any restitution uh, that was that was associated with that sentence. And so, what mm-hmm. that means now is that that your right to vote is now based kind of on your wealth and your ability to pay those fines and fees. Um, <sighs> and it certainly, you, you it know, it certainly is going to impact those folks, and it's certainly yeah. wrong. You know, is yeah, is the thing. And, and the other thing, you know, about this is, is it certainly is, you know, against what so many people, you know, voted for and against mm-hmm. the principle yeah. that voting, voting is your right. It is, it's not a privilege to vote as Americans. This is American citizens. This is our right. This is something, you know, precious and innate to who we are and are really our most prized possession. And it shouldn't be taken away. And it certainly shouldn't be taken away based on wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you so think our, our that litigation will sort team is, out? Yeah. So, yeah. So what does that mean? You know, so, um, so what are you our, doing about it, Molly? <laughs> yes. um, we have um, some brilliant attorneys who, um, who have been, you know, fighting this in court. And it, it's, it's something, you know, that we certainly are, you know, we, we, we know how we want this to turn out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's something that we certainly, um, you know, we'll continue, we'll continue fighting. Yeah, it's interesting to, when you mentioned this was so huge that, you know, in 2018, that midterms, that night, so many huge things happened that like it was yes. easy to miss the gravity of how big something like this was. And so like, you're right, I, because I, I think wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah, because like, and now that it's any election ding, night, it's right? Like, no, no, it was such a huge victory. Right, exactly. Right, I think it is. I think because you know, on elections nights, there's so much happening. And, you know, uh, nationally, people pay attention, you know, more to the top of the race, the top of the ticket, those, you know, statewide races. um, And a lot of times, you know, ballot measures might not get as much attention or, you know, local elected officials, even including local, you know, uh, local election Mm -hmm. officials who run elections, you know, all of these folks to have incredible, um, you know, incredible impact on, you know, on day-to-day life for folks, on civil rights, on how elections are run. And, you know, certainly this ballot measure, um, you know, was a big part of, of 2018. And, um, and yeah, I think mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, it's, I, it's really testament to everybody on the ground to work, you know, to get signatures, to, you know, work with mm-hmm. voters and the persuasive campaign and, you know, what this means for voting and what this means um, for voting as a right. So that's, you know, a big shout out to all of the folks who worked on that. Right. 
Yeah. And like, if, you know, there were so many big things that night that like, you know, imagine a scenario where somebody were like, okay, actually AOC didn't win and she's not going to be allowed to be a congressperson unless this happens. Like that's effectively what happened with this other huge thing. But I feel like I mean, it didn't get so blown up that night. I think like the gravity of the threats to it now aren't um, as public or as, as taken seriously as I know I hope that they were. I think, too, you know, kind of to your first question about what's the biggest threat to voting rights, I think that, you know, all of this reminds us of the need for, for us to be diligent and to be, yeah. you know, and to be diligent and know that we need to continue to protect and expand our right to vote. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I say us, I don't mean just the ACLU. I mean, you know, volunteers and folks who are you know, who really make things happen and that this yeah. isn't, you know, it's not just a job for, you know, ACLU attorneys or ACLU staff, it's a job for everybody. And I think that, um, you know, I think we, you know, we know we can yeah. win, but I think that we know that it's, you know, don't get me wrong. We know this is hard work too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we sort of touched on this when we talked about, you know, what are the biggest threats and you said they were sort of changing day to day. Um, but I'm wondering if there's one policy or rule change that would have the like the biggest impact on making voting more accessible to the most people, um, you know, like same day registration. It sounds like it could be what we were talking about mm. before with regard to if you can't get to the ballot, but I'm curious if there is something that in your view would expand the franchise or make it more accessible to the most people with one move. That is a great question. And I'm probably uh, biased because, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin where we've had same day registration mm-hmm. since, the 70s and have had yeah. really taken a lot of pride in the integrity of our elections and in turnout and accessibility, you know, or had certainly um, for for many years until, some, you know, until the voter ID law and some other laws in place. Um, but I, you know, same day exists in Wisconsin and I think is certainly one of the biggest policies that we could implement across the nation to keep our, you know, voter rolls up to date and in our elections and voting accessible for folks. Mm-hmm. I, it's almost funny. Like I almost took it for granted. Right. Um, because I always mm-hmm. registered on election day, you know, the first time I voted the, um, in, in so many times and certainly as a young person, uh, you know, in college and moving around frequently. Um, so that, I think that is one of the one of the single most things, and I, I noticed that especially working um, and organizing at different campuses across the country that didn't have same day registration, yeah. and you know had deadlines. I mean, the longest deadline allowed by federal law is thirty days, and so okay. you know really it's time to just modernize that that and make make those deadlines you know closer to election day on election day so folks can register yeah. and. And but when they want to, because it's crazy being on a campus and talking to to young people who you know want to know about voting, even you know if it's a thirty day deadline, say yeah. three weeks before the election. And oh yeah, you know I right. I'm excited, I'm paying attention, you know I'm really excited about this candidate, I want to vote. And then to have you know a registration deadline that is really you know outdated, um, be the reason that you know that person isn't able to participate is you know, it's just, it's just really sad and it's wrong. And it's something that we can change and update. And, you know, many states, um, you know, do and successfully implement this. So it's certainly something that we can do, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And my last question is what are the ACLU's sort of biggest priorities this year? So I guess if, if people want to support your work and donate, what, what are they helping you do? Yes, so that's I, that's a great question, and certainly an evolving question right now, given yeah. um, you know, given the the um, you know the unique civil rights that are at stake right now um, yeah. with um, with this pandemic. Um, totally. But certainly, you know, in in the voting rights sphere, certainly one of you know our big priorities has been and will continue to be um, ensuring that every eligible voter has access to the ballot and whether that's, you know, our know your rights material to make sure that folks in, in every state and in states know how to vote, when to vote, what deadlines are currently in place so they can participate in the system. And then also there's those, mm-hmm. the second bucket is kind of changing, you know, what that system is to make sure that folks, 
uh, you know, can, can, can participate at even higher levels and that, uh, and that there is more access. So whether that's, you know, legislative work, which is changing a little bit since some, since some legislatures mm-hmm. have dismissed right now, um, or ballot measures or, you yeah. know, continuing our advocacy and, you know, organizing people of power around these issues to make sure that we are continuing to protect and expand that right to vote. And, um, certainly given everything happening, that this is going to be even more essential, um, this year. Great. Thank you so, would, so, so much. Those were all our questions. Yeah. And I would go say ahead, go too, ahead. I have to 100% give a plug. So, you know, we, that this, we, you know, we really drive our advocacy on the on volunteers who are making calls, who are calling their legislators, who are making this change happen, you know, who are collecting signatures, who are doing all these things. And certainly, you know, these, these in-person uh, activities are on hold now. Um, but I would absolutely tell everybody to go to, you know, peoplepower.org because, you know, once, you know, once, uh, you know, organizing is going to be needed. And certainly once, uh, mm-hmm. you know, once our, our situation uh, globally and, you know, the safety of that, um, you know, is assured and changes that, um, you know, we're going to need folks more than ever. So I would absolutely encourage folks to sign up there. Yeah, absolutely. I will be looking for that. Thank you so, so, so much. Are you going to volunteer? Are you, are you my, are you my newest yes, volunteer? Yes. <laughs> I, All right. I am now I'm verbally committed and it's being recorded. So I'm doing it. <laughs> yes. You can count on me. So you guys know all about our Keep It 100 campaign and some really cool merch that we made for it. We're also donating 20% of the purchase price of each sale, excluding taxes or shipping, to the ACLU's Voting Rights Project. They're going to need your support more than ever as they're navigating this new landscape and figuring out how they're going to address all of the issues ahead of the 2020 election. Um, And the merch is cute AF. So check it out. Get a cozy sweatshirt that you can lounge around in. Um, shopbetches.com. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this has been the Betches Sup Podcast. The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. 